Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. You have three great enemies. Chances are you have more than that, but you have three terrible, horrifying enemies. They're stronger than you. They're more able than you. And in and of yourself, you have no defenses. We all have these three great enemies, sin, Satan, and the world. Sin is not merely the bad things we do. Sin is a condition of the heart where we come into this world shaking our fist at God saying, I'm the God of my own life. You can't tell me what to do. Sin is how we act in the exact opposite of the character of God. God's character is good. It is beautiful. And when we act against that character, that is sin. Sin wants to ruin us. It wants to destroy us from the inside out. And it is stronger than you and I. If you think it isn't, find a sin. Try and stop doing it. And you find that you cannot. You are powerless. Satan, the accuser, wants to encourage us to sin. Satan hates God, but he can't touch God. So what does he do? He goes and attacks God's people. He goes and attacks people that God loves. He attacks people made in God's image. Satan wants to encourage you to sin so that it creates a barrier between you and your relationship with God. And this is the worst thing about Satan. His name is also the accuser. And so once he's gotten you to sin, You don't feel good about it afterwards. He fills you up with accusation, accusation. It sends you into a spiral of sinful addiction. We have the enemy of sin. We have the enemy of Satan. And we have the enemy of the world. Sometimes when the Bible's talking about the world, it's just talking about the earth, right? The the place that we live in the sky above, right? This globe that we live in. Sometimes when it's talking about the world, it's talking about the evil system that we live in. That's why oftentimes you can see all of a sudden an entire culture shift from thinking one thing is evil to saying that one thing is good or saying something that's good is now evil. It is influencing. It changes us. It warps our perception of reality. And if we're not in the word of God, it will change us. These great enemies of your and my soul are more powerful than you. And not only are you defenseless against them, you can't even help your own family and friends and loved ones fight against them. How can we be rescued from this spiritual death? How can we find help from this darkness? Our great enemies, they want to kill you on the inside so that when you die on the outside, you are eternally separated from God. You are eternally separated from God's goodness. You are eternally separated from God's beauty. They want to destroy you from the inside so that when you die on the outside, you are separated forever from the beauty of God. How can we be rescued from this spiritual death? Paul starts in Ephesians chapter 2 with this very premise. In chapter 2, verse 1, talking to the church in Ephesus, Paul says, And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul mentions those three great enemies of humanity, sin, Satan, and the world. That's the prince of the power of the air. He's saying these enemies, they've come to destroy you. He says to the church in Ephesus, you were once dead, spiritually dead. You couldn't help but not sin. You couldn't help but sin. There we go. You couldn't help it. You would. Verse 3, among whom we all, 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 not just some of you, not just this person, all of us lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath, children of justice. When you've done something, there are consequences to those actions, children of God's justice. God is a holy God. He loves us. He cares for us, but he is also a just God, and he cannot allow sin to go unspoken for. How can we be rescued from this spiritual death? Verse 4, there's a but. It's always great to find buts like this in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. He starts this off, he says, but God is rich in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. Mercy is like saying you deserve prison for your actions, but we're letting you off and you're not going to prison. That's mercy, not getting the punishment you deserve. God is rich in mercy. He sees us and understands that we can't help ourselves, that that we can't help but sin. He's rich in mercy. The great love in which he loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place, to shed his blood on the cross and to rise again so that whoever believes can have eternal life. He sent us Jesus. He made us alive with Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. So the difference between mercy and grace, right? They're, they're related, but they're a bit different. Mercy, you deserve prison. You're not get, get in prison. You can go. Grace is getting what you absolutely don't deserve. You deserve prison. Yeah, here's this mansion instead. Whoa, <laughs> right? That's mercy. Paul is saying, look, church in Ephesus, look, church today, your sins by virtue of your action, said, I want nothing to do with you, God. But God's so rich in mercy, so rich in grace, looked down on us, sent us Jesus, and gave us something we don't deserve. He made us alive in Jesus Christ. He gave us the ability to stand up against sin. He gave us the ability to not only see and experience the goodness and beauty and character of God, but to follow after him. He saved us from our sins. He's forgiven us. And not only that, six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So we are known in heaven. You're not just a random person who, uh, who has a ticket to get into the stadium. God knows you by name. Verse 80 says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't do good enough to earn your salvation or to cancel out all the sin that you've done. And in fact, I think if you tried to cancel out all the sin that you've done, you'd probably mess it up. I would. It is a free gift, not by works, he says. Not by works. It's the work of Jesus. The work Jesus did on the cross, the perfect life Jesus lived that you and I can't live, dying the death that you and I deserved, being raised from the dead, vindication that Jesus was innocent. Ah, it's the work of Jesus. And that work of Jesus, if you trust in it, as Paul says, by faith. By the way, if you ever see the word faith, for the most part, in the New and Old Testament, you could, you could substitute the word trust. Faith and trust. Faith in, in English is kind of like, eh, you know, it's kind of become a bit of a garbage word, right? Where we kind of mean a bunch of wishy-washy stuff. Trust is a very concrete term now. And in Greek, it means the same thing. We are saved by trust, by trusting that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. It's a free gift, not by works, not by works, not by our own effort. There are some theologians out there today that will say faith is also an act of work. Trusting in Jesus is also an act of work. But Paul makes a distinguish, a distinction here between faith and work. And also, I think if you understand, if any, you've ever worked a day in your life, you understand that trusting in Jesus and letting go and saying, okay, my whole destiny is in your hands. That's not work. Go dig a hole. That's work, right? That's hard work. Trusting is just letting go and saying, okay, God, here I am. I trust Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I trust that his sacrifice on the cross has forgiven my sins. I trust that his sacrifice on the cross has made me your child. It's a free gift. How can we be rescued from the spiritual death around us? We can be rescued by trusting in God's grace, not by works, by trusting that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, not through our own efforts. Uh, he kind of adds here on the end that no one may boast. In English, the way this is rendered, it kind of seems like maybe that's the most important part. It, it's an afterthought, but Paul's kind of saying, and by the way, because all the goodness that you have in your life, all the beauty you have in your life, all of your talents, all of your skills, all of your smarts, those are a free gift that come from God. No one can boast. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room, room for, I know better than you. There's no room for, ha-ha, look at me, how great I am in Christianity. I know there is in the modern church today. There shouldn't be. We understand that everything we have, every good gift comes from God. It comes from God's hand. And so when we have abilities that others don't, we understand, wow, look at how God has chosen to work through me. There's no room for arrogance in Christianity. But Paul says, he's telling the Ephesians, and he's reminding them, you were dead, now you're alive. You have been saved by grace. You can be rescued from spiritual death through the free grace of God, not through your works. 
Okay, so what is this like? What's Paul getting at here? Uh, Kristen, my wife and I, we used to live in California for like five or six years. And you guys will understand this. This is the only place I can ever actually share this story where, you're all, where you will understand. When we moved out to California, we did not realize that we would be living in pizza exile. No good pizza in California. They have, they have chains with pizza in the name. With pizza in the name. It's not pizza. It's like flatbread. And they like, hey, what do you want on it? Put whatever you want on it. Like, it's just like, it's, it's good, but it's not pizza. All right, so we're living in pizza exile forever. And it's hard and it's rough. And we're just like, you want pizza? Yeah, I guess. You have to put scare quotes around it. You want pizza? Okay. So, you know, we do that. And then one day uh, we had this big project we were doing at the church I was serving. I was at Home Depot in the pro desk and they got my, my phone number. And the woman behind the counter goes, oh, that's a New York number, right? I was like, yeah. And uh, oh, where'd you grow up? I, you know, we did the whole thing where you share about your whole New York history. And she says, do you find any good pizza here yet? <laughs> and I said, you know that I haven't. <laughs> and she goes, you got to check out Mamma Mia's. It's this little hole in the wall over here, but it's run by a couple from Brooklyn. They know how to make pizza. <gasps> so we went there and you know what? It was good pizza. And then we would bring our Southern Californian friends and we'd say, hey, you got to come check this out. They're like, I don't know, this place got, and they'd have it. And they were like, wow, what is this? We're like, this is pizza. Not what you're eating over here. This is pizza. That's kind of what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus. He's reminding them, you were once dead, now you are alive. You once couldn't appreciate the beauty of God. You couldn't help but sin in your life. You were ruled by sin. You were ruled by Satan. And wherever the world was going, and whatever the popular belief was at the time, you couldn't help but being tossed back and forth in that wave. But now, because of God's great mercy and his great grace, you have been set free. He has shown you a better way. Just like us showing our Southern Californian friends, this is what pizza should be. Another example, I, uh, oh, let's see, 23 years ago, I was playing hockey and uh, damaged my knee. Don't ask me how, just whatever story you come up with is more impressive than the reality of the situation. <laughs> but I busted my knee and I was like, oh, and I hurt myself a little bit, right? And as I'm like walking to the car, my, uh, my bones are like sliding off the femur, right? Like I can't walk without my bones going, like just totally gone. So I'm like trying to walk to the car with my book bag and everything and getting over there. And I was like, man, that's rough. That was hard. I drove all the way home. I went through my whole course of day trying to do things without my femur disconnecting from the rest of my bones. A few years after that, three years later, uh, I woke up early in the morning and I was at my parents' house and I had like such pain, unlike any pain I had experienced, at least in my stomach up to that point. It was awful. It was terrible. So I was like, oh, what did I eat last night? Right? I'm like drinking Pepto-Bismol like it's going out of style. And, uh, and that's not working. So take the Pepto-Bismol pills. Maybe those will work better. Nothing's happening. It's just so awful. In both of those cases, I needed help, help that I couldn't give myself. In the first case, I had uh, totally destroyed my ACL and my PCL in my knee, both of those ligaments. The PCL is a very rare one to do. Pfft, those were gone. Also tore my lateral medial menisci, like totally destroyed my knee. 
Uh, in the second case, uh, I actually, my appendix was about to explode. Okay? So that was pretty painful. Anyone else ever have that pain going, oh, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you for commiserating with me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's just terrible. And the reality is you can't go up on YouTube and say, all right, like, I don't want to go to the doctor because it's expensive. Let me, uh, you know, at-home ACL repair, um, at-home appendectomy. Please, nobody Google. I'm sure there's something that you will find on YouTube if you say at-home appendectomy. No, in both of those cases, I was in such bad shape. I had to go somewhere else where someone who was far superior in my medical ability was able to come and heal me. That's what Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus. That's what he's reminding us about today is we are so helpless in the face of sin. We are so helpless in the face of the temptations of Satan. We are so helpless with whatever the world wants to do. We are so helpless that we need to ask Jesus for help. We need the great physician to come and transform us and change us. We need him. We are rescued from spiritual death, not by our own works, but through God's amazing grace. It's kind of like before we were, we were believers, we were like eating garbage, but we didn't realize we were eating garbage. And then all of a sudden, when you come to faith in Jesus, the blinders come off and you're like, what is this that I'm eating, right? And you come over and go, oh, wow, there's filet mignon over here. This is great. You know, this, a New York strip. This is good. New York pizza. That's fantastic, right? California pizza. No, thank you. Chicago pizza. I understand people like that. I'm not going to judge, but I'm going to choose the New York pizza every time. <laughs> right? And he takes the blinders off. So then as a Christian, you can go over there and see the garbage. And sometimes, you know what? We do want to go back and eat the garbage. And we do. But as Christians, we're like, I know this is garbage. Jesus, I need your help. And he gives us the strength to say, no, this is not. It feels good in the moment. But in the long run, it doesn't help us. In the long run, it doesn't help us. We need God's help. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to refer to another book. Um, Cormac McCarthy, who actually just passed away, he wrote a book a number of years ago, I think 2006, 2007, called The Road, won the Pulitzer Prize. This is not a recommendation for a book. It is absolutely not. It is a horror novel. I like horror. I don't think all horror is good, but I think God can use that genre of literature and storytelling in order to wake us up out of our malaise. But I got to tell you guys, just a few months ago, you remember how I was making fun of people who like go to the back of a book to find out how the book ends? Do you get, some of you guys remember that? And I judged you very harshly. No, not very, I just poking fun at you. This was so tense that I went to the back of the book to find out what happened. <laughs> I've never done that in my life, but there's nothing but tension in this thing. And as I got to the end of it, I was like, okay, well, I did that. I don't have to tell a single soul about that, especially the people I made fun of. And then I realized while I was working on the sermon, I was like, oh, this is the perfect metaphor. In this book, not a recommendation, but in this book, it's a, it's something catastrophic has happened. It's a dystopian future. The sky, the sun is unseeable. There's constant cloud cover. There is ash all over the ground. All of the animals are dead. All of the birds are dead. Humanity has descended into becoming a cannibalistic group of people. It is an eat or be eaten world. And it is horrifying. And in the midst of that context, there is a father with his young son traveling on this road, trying to head to the coast in the hope of bringing his son a better life. Unlike the vast majority of humanity around them, they are not cannibals. 
unlike the vast majority of people around them, they're still carrying the light of goodness. They're still carrying the fire of truth. And how odd they seem, father and son, going through protecting each other, loving each other, while the rest of the world is trying to eat each other. We don't live in quite that same of a nightmare world, praise be to God. However, the metaphor is clear, isn't it? We eat in a culture, we live in a culture that tries to eat each other. It says, eat or be eaten. Use your political power. Use your positional authority to lord over other people, to tell them what to do. You're the boss. You have power. You have authority. That's what our culture says. Eat or be eaten. And yet the light of Jesus comes into our lives and he says, no, I will show you a better way. The Gentiles love to lord their power over others, not so with you, the greatest among you will be the servant to all. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you will serve. The world says you've got to, there is cancel culture, right? Like, oh my goodness, you make a mistake and apologize for it, you're still gone, right? And the gospel says, no, in Jesus, there is forgiveness. There's repentance. You can repent and say, I was absolutely wrong. I will make whatever amends I have to. But even if the whole world won't forgive you, God himself will. He will. How can we be rescued from spiritual death? We can be rescued from spiritual death by the free grace of God, not by our works. Some of you are here probably saying, well, wait a minute, how do works come into this though, right? Because it's not like you become a Christian and then like you can do whatever you want, right? There are some believers who do that and that's not helpful. And we have vulgar names for people like that, which we can't mention on Sunday morning, right? Because it's uh, people who say, oh, I know Jesus and they're horrible human beings, right? So where do works come into this? How do works play into our salvation? Well, Paul talks about that. In verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He said, we are God's workmanship. And this is interesting here, because I will talk to some uh, colleagues of mine who will say, no, 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 you, you Protestants and your whole saved by grace alone, saved by faith alone, right? Not by works. Ah, you got it wrong. Because as soon as Paul says that in verse nine, you got verse 10 where he says, oh, you got to work. No, but you're misinterpreting what it says here. I'll say to my colleagues, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is after you've become a Christian, after you've tr trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now you are a new creation of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good work. So you've been changed. You've accepted Jesus. And now, now that you follow Jesus, he's fundamentally transformed you. And as a result of your free salvation, the Holy Spirit will fill you and you will want to do good works. And he wants us to do those in our lives. It's kind of like this. Um, you guys, you guys have seen award, people get awards before, right? Like sometimes, and, and they give speeches, which does anybody enjoy listening to speeches about awards? Uh, they're usually kind of the same things. Or you've watched them on the TV, big awards for Broadway, for music, and for film and theater, right, film. Um, we've seen people get awards before. Who do people, not all the time, but who do people often thank when they get their award? 
of words. They thank God. Yeah, who else? Themselves. <laughs> I like to thank me. I have seen that before. Yeah, CJ? The what? The person handing the award? Yes, thank you. If you did not hand this over, I would have had to call the police <laughs> to give you my property. Yeah, no, that's good. What? Who else do they thank? Parents. Ah. Why do they thank their parents? Yeah, they entered the contest in the first place. But think about it. I mean, this is not true for everyone. Not everyone has great parents and supportive parents. But, but by and large, the people who thank their parents, they understand. My parents, my mom or my dad or both of them, they fed me. If I didn't eat, I wouldn't be standing on this stage. They put a roof over my head. They protected me from the evils of this world. They're the ones who drove me to practice. They're the ones who came to my plays. They're the ones who, who, who continue to encourage me to go down this route. They're the ones who sacrificed their own wants, needs, and desires and dreams so that I could pursue mine. And so without the work of the parents, the work of the person getting the award would have never happened. That's the Christian life. Without the work of Jesus, we wouldn't be able to achieve good things. Without the work of Jesus, we wouldn't be able to do good works to begin with. That's what Paul's point is here. We need the work of Jesus. We need to trust in him so that we can turn around and be like Jesus and walk in his footsteps and love the unlovable, serve those who cannot serve you in return. Put aside your wants, needs, and desires for the greater good of another individual who might not even care. To love your enemies, which that one, I know we can say it easily, but oh my goodness, when you love your enemies, that is, I think, an impossible task. We need to ask Jesus for the strength to love our human enemies because it is hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. We can be delivered from spiritual death. And you know what? Physical death too, because one day King Jesus will return by accepting God's grace. Not by our own works and efforts. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we were helpless, Jesus reached down, and he picked us up. Uh, you've heard of oil spills that happen in the ocean or in waterways, and what that does to animals that are stuck in that oil spill is terrible, right? Especially if it's a, like a waterfowl, like a duck or a swan. Uh, if it gets it in its feathers, the feathers lose their ability to be waterproof. So they can barely swim and they can't fish anymore and they get cold or hot really quick because they can't regulate their body temperature because they lost their, their waterproofing ability. Uh, and it's, it's a difficult thing. It's not only difficult, it's hard because they can, the animal can take themselves out of the oil and they can go into clean water, but they can't get it off of them. So what do you do? What can happen? How can the animal be saved? Well, go ahead. Let's watch this video.
ah, right. What a great commercial, though. I, you know, I know you didn't, you didn't come here expecting to see a, uh, yeah, you can leave that, that picture. That's still up. That's perfect. You didn't expect to have a dawn commercial when you came to church, but it's a great image. While we were helpless, God comes down, scoops us up, and washes us off and restores us to newness of life so that we can now live. We, can, we are made free to do good. We are made free to serve others. We are free from the bonds of sin. We can know that we know that we know that we have eternal life. We don't have to worry, oh, what happens when I die? Because if you trusted in Jesus, you know that when you die, your sins are forgiven. God will welcome you into eternity. And one day when King Jesus comes back, you will live forever in the new heaven and new earth, the way things ought to be, not the way they currently are. That is wonderful. I remember I was in a philosophy class a number of years ago and we were around the the room and uh, it was an honors philosophy class in, uh, uh, actually at SUNY Orange. And we're in this, this class. And the teacher, she just goes, man, do you guys ever wake up like terrified that you're going to die? And they went around the room. And that's what we were talking about that day, I guess. Uh, not the text <laughs> that we were in. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And they all shared these horrible stories. And then it got to me and this woman I was sitting next to. Uh, I'm Protestant. She was Catholic. And they got to both of us. And we looked at each other and we're like, no. I mean, look, I'm not, I, I don't want to die like a horrible way, you know, like on a sawmill legs first, right? Like, please, no. <laughs> you knew I was going there. <laughs> right? I don't want to die that way. That's horrible. But death itself, you know, leaving my family behind, I don't want to do that. But death itself, and I'm not saying every Christian has to have this confidence, but, but I followed Jesus enough that I've trusted his character. I know that he's got me. And when I die, I have a good, good, good future. And my sister next to me said the same thing. And my sister in the Lord. (laughs) My sister in the Lord said the same thing. And and, and it was amazing because the class was like, no, you're liars. (laughs) And we were were just like, no, we're, we're, we're not. Because we have confidence in Jesus. We have confidence not in our own ability, not in our works, but in the work of Jesus on the cross, in his resurrection power that works in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. You can be rescued from spiritual death, or you have been rescued from spiritual death through God's wonderful grace, not your works. We were dead And Jesus is making us alive. We were dirty. And Jesus is making us clean. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray for those who are here that have trusted and have followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as Paul was writing to believers, to encourage them and to remind them. I pray, Father, that we will also be encouraged. I pray also as he was writing to them to humble them, that it will humble us as well. That yes, we have gifts. Yes, we have ability. Yes, we have wisdom, but it comes from you. We can't boast about what we have. We can't look down on other people, whether they're believers or not. All the good things, all the beauty in our life, it is from your hand, Father God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those here that might not have trusted Jesus or they're not sure. They need confidence that that they belong to you, that their sins have been forgiven, 
that you call them your beloved son or your beloved daughter. I pray for those here in this room right now who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that Father, just now in the quiet of this room, they will believe, they will trust that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. And by that act of faith, by that trust, you will fill them with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you will fill them with confidence that their sins have been forgiven, they're adopted into your family, and that you have a good future in store for them. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we have. Thank you that you have raised us from death into life. And thank you that because we no longer are spiritually dead, we don't have to fear physical death when it comes. And as a church, we can look forward to the end of this age and the beginning of the next and say, come Lord Jesus, come. Make all things new. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.